Good morning, everyone. My name is Jamie, like Mike said. If we've not met before, um, well, I'm not meeting you right now, but that's who I am. Um, I've been, a little bit about me, I have been going to Vineyard Northwest since 2014. Uh, I joined staff as an intern in 2016, and shortly after that, I joined staff as just like a normal staff member, no longer an intern, and I've been on staff ever since then. Some of you may know my husband, Luke Hazelmeyer. He's one of the pastors here. Together we have two sons, Titus, who will be two in August, just a few days from now. And I was told what to do if I was making noise. Okay. And we have Ozzy, who joined our family just about three months ago. So we are living it up in the two under two, as you can imagine. Uh, Luke left me for the first time alone with the boys uh, the other night. He had a worship team retreat, and I was like, okay, I can do this. I got both boys to sleep by 9.05 p.m. I thought that was a win. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then my toddler, my two, almost two-year-old, woke up three times. Uh, so we, as a total, there were about eight wake-ups that night. And I was feeling pretty demoralized, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but we survived it. Luke gave me a great nap that day. And he's never going to leave me again. So <laughs> we really we got that out of the way. We figured it out. So I'm really honored to be with you guys this morning. Most of us know that as Christians, we are called to love everybody, everyone. God loves everyone. We should love everyone, right? But we can find it challenging to love everyone in real life sometimes. Like, in theory, it's like a, a good idea. We like the way it sounds. Um, but it can be challenging sometimes. Maybe you find it challenging to love people that you disagree with, you know, Maybe you find it challenging to love people who have different political beliefs than you. You know, like, how, what, what are they doing voting for that president? They're going to burn our world down. <laughs> I can't love them. Or maybe you find it challenging to love people who have different religious beliefs than you. Like, how can anyone dare believe that God does not exist? It's challenging for me to love them because they're spreading around. They're living a lie. Or maybe, you know, some smaller things, like you find it difficult to love people who have different educational beliefs than you, to homeschool, to public school, to private school. There, or maybe, you know, you find it challenging to love people who have hurt you, someone who's lied to you, who's let you down, someone who's abused you, or done any of these things to the people that you love. And if we can get a little bit raw for a moment, I think we can all say, I know at least I can say that I find it challenging to love people like terrorists or school shooters or even more raw, rapists. It's challenging. I'm right there with you. And this is where we are, Jesus is bringing us into, we are, we've been talking in Matthew about the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the Beatitudes. We talked about a lot of lighthearted topics like divorce and now we're going to talk about another lighthearted topic about loving your enemies. So I'm glad I got this one. We're going to do great. <laughs> we are reading today in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. So will you all stand with me? We're going to read this together. Brace yourselves. It's not an easy passage. It's really challenging. 
So here we go. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm just going to pray real fast. I just say, come Holy Spirit. You would be with us. You would be with me. You would open our hearts. You would soften our hearts. You would unlock our hearts today. We just say we commit ourselves to all of your teachings. We commit our hearts. We commit our lives to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Now, love your enemies is a pretty radical statement. I know if you've heard it over and over again, maybe it doesn't sound so radical to you, but in and of itself, I would say it's a radical statement. Like, what does it mean? Like, why should I love my enemies? And who are my enemies? And how do I love my enemies? These are all questions that I hope to at least touch on today. Now, let me just get this out here. I don't know everything. And there are going to be so many caveats to loving your enemies that I'm not going to say, don't get mad at me for not saying them. You know, loving your enemies takes wisdom and um, following the Holy Spirit and listening to what he has to say. So why should we love our enemies? Point blank, number one, Jesus has commanded us as his children to love our enemies. So if we leave here today and you are not convinced for any other reason as to why you should love your enemies, do it out of obedience. So when I first started reading this passage, I was reading, like, you have heard that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And I was like, well, who said to hate your enemies? Turns out, it's nowhere in the Bible. Jesus didn't say it. Moses didn't say it. But Jesus was referring to one of the law, one of the Mosaic laws in Leviticus 19:18. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says, "You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." So this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, "You have heard that it was said to love your neighbor." And what he was talking about were the rabbis during this time who were giving their own interpretation of this verse. And they said, well, if the law says to love your neighbor, then common sense says to hate your enemy. So that's what they were teaching at the time. It's really interesting that they were doing the same thing that we're doing today. We take scripture and we interpret it to the best we can and as to how to apply it to our lives. But Jesus is correcting them. He came and he said, hey, you did your best, but you got it wrong. 
So I thought that was interesting. Here we go. I printed two-sided, which I was not planning on. So we got it. All right, number two, as to why we should love our enemies. Jesus loves his enemies, and he loves my enemies. So if we pinpoint verse 45, it says, So that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is like a really cool verse. It really stuck out to me. I, what really stuck out to me were the, I looked in different um, translations to see what all words that was used when it talks about he causes his sun to rise. And he sends rain. So it says he makes. He makes rain fall. He makes the sun rise. He causes. He gives. He sends. And how many of you know that rainfall and sunshine are vital components to survival? If we want to eat, we have to have rain and sunshine. And not only to survival, but to thriving. Especially during Jesus' time, people would sell their crops. And if they didn't have rain and sunshine, they were either not going to eat or just not going to have any money to buy the other things that they would need in life. So this is just like Jesus God is intentional. There, it could be the most evil, cruel person that you've ever met or heard of. And God is saying, because I love them, I am going to send rain to their world. I am going to send sunshine. I'm going to cause sunshine to fall on their worlds because I love them. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how evil or cruel they are, I love them, and this is at least the bare minimum of my love that I will give to them. And I would venture to say that he gives even more that he doesn't say in the scripture. He shows favor. He shows his goodness and his kindness to my enemies and to his enemies, the righteous and the unrighteous, whether we follow him or not. The last thing I want to say about how Jesus loves his enemies, there's a story in the Bible where servants are coming to take Jesus to take him captive so that, you know, they could crucify him and do all the things. And one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, drew his sword and cut off one of the guy's ears. And Jesus said, wait a second. No, 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 no. Jesus miraculously heals his ear, puts his ear back on and says something really wise, something about, Put your sword away. Don't do that. <laughs> At this time, the people that were coming to take Jesus captive were his enemies. They wanted to kill him. And Jesus is saying, hey, put down your sword. I love him too. Number three, why should we love our enemies? For the sake of their salvation. Slides, people, I added this last minute, so don't expect to uh, have a slide for this. But you guys can look, up for, um, look it up if you would like. The verse is 2 Timothy chapter 22, verses 24 through 25. I'll read it out loud. So that's 2 Timothy chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, skillful in teaching, patient when wronged, 
with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. What this tells me is through our kindness and gentleness, people can experience the truth and the goodness of God and perhaps come to know Jesus. Through our kindness and our gentleness, perhaps, hopefully. (laughs) Another verse, I think you guys might have this one, or maybe not, sorry. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So this tells me that the hearts of people are moved. They are drawn. They are compelled into the kingdom, not by force, not by violence, not by hate, but through kindness. And as Jesus of followers, as followers of Jesus, we want everyone to come to know Jesus, right? He is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Because of him, we have life forever. Because of him, we get to experience the goodness and the sweetness of God for all of eternity in this life and the next. I do want to say, though, that the caveat to this is we don't just love our enemies for the sake of getting them into the kingdom. We love them because they are inherently valuable also. We don't love people with just one mission, like, oh, I have to love them and show them loving kindness so that I can get them onto my side. No, we want to love them because we want them to experience the goodness and the kindness of God, even if they never accept Jesus. I am okay if they at least get to experience some type of glimmer of goodness of God in this lifetime and they never experience and they never get to go to heaven, I, at least they got to experience some of God through me and through you. So now you have three reasons as to why you should love your enemies. I hope you're convinced. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been going through, uh, Jesus' audience is his 12 disciples, who are all Jews, who led pretty normal lives. So this information helps us identify who the enemies of the disciples may have been and how that might translate to us today. So who are our enemies? Well, one of the disciples' enemies during the time would have been the Samaritans. You know, the Samaritans, um, they were people who would, um, the the Jews would scoff at them. They would call them half-breeds, and they would be intermarried, and, you know, they built this place of worship because they thought they didn't have to go to Jerusalem, and the Jews just hated them. You know, you, if you read in the Bible, they would take a longer route so they could not go through Samaria, so they could avoid them at all costs. So this could translate to us today as people who maybe offend you or, like, disgust you, you know, like... The Jews would look at the Samaritans and be like, oh, you're disgusting. You intermarried with people that are not in the same ethnicity as you. Or, you know, you think you can worship. Like, how dare you think you can worship outside of Jerusalem? Some examples of this could be 
liberals, conservatives. You know, I hate to talk about politics, but man, it is just there. <sighs> Maybe people who offend you could be Christians or Muslims or Buddhists or atheists. Are you offended by LGBTQ plus people? Anti-vaxxers, pro-vaxxers, conspiracy theorists, frustrating relatives, annoying coworkers. An illustration of this personally that I can share is some of you may remember two or three years ago there was a somewhat famous fundamentalist Christian pastor who was in a, he was in some type of interview, a conference, and he was on a panel. So the interviewer was doing a thing where he would say, okay, I am going to give you one or two words, and I want you to respond with the first one or two words that come to your mind. They said, okay. So the first word that the interviewer poses, or words, is Beth Moore. And the same as pastor, the next thing he says is, go home. So if you guys are familiar with Beth Moore, Beth Moore is a somewhat famous author, Bible teacher, evangelist. She's written a lot of books, really great devotionals. She is a woman in ministry, and she has, thought, she has been in ministry for a long time. So this famous pastor tells her to go home and says there is no biblical stance for women to teach in churches. And when I heard this, I, it's actually on YouTube. You can, you can go on there and listen to it. I, when I heard about this, I was like, interesting. Let me go listen. I took a listen. And as you can imagine, as someone who has felt called to ministry and to teach in some capacity myself since I was a child, I took a little bit of offense to it. I was actually kind of disgusted, honestly. Because it's one thing if you have this theology, that's okay, I, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's another thing to mock and to be kind of cruel and nasty towards women who genuinely feel like they are doing what God has called them to do. The next person on this panel, it was his turn to respond to Beth Moore, the words. And he says, narcissistic. Oh, gosh, uh, I just, I was up in arms for days about this. My emotions were high, were livid almost. And I just had to, I had to bring it to the Lord. I was like, Jesus, this is hard that there are people out there that not only believe that what I do is sinful, but will mock me about it. I had to come to terms so I was like, Lord, I just need you to help me because I'm carrying some really, like, a lot of disgust and offense in my heart for this. And I know that not everyone that carries this belief is as mean as this pastor was, but I need you to do something. So after a while, I realized, I was just like, you know, this pastor does not represent every single male who carries this belief. And I don't know him. Maybe he's been really b badly hurt by a woman in ministry. Maybe someone taught him some bad theology. I don't know his story. So I can show him a little bit of grace for that. 
And I can show him res respect for the more, the, the people in this world, not just men, women carry this belief as well, the more complementarian people of the world. I can, I can restore respect for them and give him some grace. He offended me and disgusted me, and I had to figure out how to grapple with that. So he was one of my enemies, not anymore. Who else could be our enemies? The Pharisees. So during Jesus' time, the Pharisees were one of uh, the Jews' potential enemies. So this could be those who harm or ostracize you or those you care about. So the Pharisees during Jesus' time were extremely judgmental and religious leaders. Some examples of this could be judgmental Christians, hyper-political Christians, kids who bully your kids, people that hurt and or negatively influence someone that you care about. So a, just a brief um, illustration for this guy, for this one is growing up, some of you may heard, have heard my story before if you were at the women's event called Overflow that happens every three months. Let me put a plug there. It's awesome. I shared a little bit about my story. Uh, my stepmom was kind of cruel to me and my older brother. And at one time, my older brother followed Jesus. He loved the Lord. He was into music and doing worship with the Lord. And my stepmom, through you know, a roundabout way, she broke up he and him and his girlfriend, who he was like, he told me, he was like, I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. And she did it in the name of Jesus. She did it in the name of God, like, that's not the person you're going to marry. And she completely, my brother has not followed the Lord ever since. He was probably 16 years old. He's like 34 now. The judgmentalism and the religiousness of what she was carrying and what she believed and how she harmed my brother in that moment made me feel like she was my enemy. Number three, who else could potentially be our enemies? The Romans. And this could be those who are against you or who oppress you. Some examples of this could be terrorists, politicians, an angry neighbor, a bully, an abuser, people who seem to just be against you in general. Sometimes we read about loving our enemies and think, certainly Jesus doesn't mean to love that person. Certainly he doesn't mean to love Al-Qaeda. Certainly he doesn't mean to love X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank. But Jesus certainly does call us to love that person. He requires us to love that person. He was requiring the Jews during this time to love the Romans, the people who were oppressing them. So how do we love our enemies? These are like really bad people, right? We just talked about some really cruel people that, you know, annoy us, that have hurt us, who have affected our lives forever, sometimes. How do we love our enemies? We love our enemies by blessing them. The last thing you want to do usually is bless someone who has hurt you, right? Or bless someone who has abused you, right? Let's uh, reference verse 47. 
And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do you not even, do not even pagans do that? I was talking to Jordan Pelfrey, our student revival pastor, about my message a little bit about a week or so ago, and he shared a little bit of insight about the greeting during Jesus' time. So apparently, a greeting during Jesus' time was not just like a, hey, how you doing? Hi, hello. It was actually when you greeted people, you would, sh- you would bless them. And I couldn't think of any other examples for this other than, this is not going to be on the screen, but just an example out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. This is, you know, pretty much any letter that you read that Paul has written, he begins it with like a decently lengthy greeting and blessing for people. So this one says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, and if you only bless people, bless your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even the people who do not follow Jesus will bless people that like them and that love them and that they get along with. He's saying that we are called to be set apart and to be different and to go the extra mile and to do more than those who are not Christ followers. So blessing them, hear me out. I understand. There are different ways you can bless people. You can bless them practically or you can bless them with your words and in your heart. You just have to do what makes sense for you in your situation. And I understand the caveat to this, it will take time sometimes to be able to bless the people who have hurt you and who have done things. But God's like, get there. He wants us to get there. He wants us to do it. So, Because Jesus wants the best for them and that they would, you know, he could pray. Jesus wants them to prosper, even if we don't. Jesus wants them to do amazing things with their lives, regardless of how dark it is right now. And when we bless them, we are changing their lives. Our words have power and life in them. And when we say things out loud, out loud like, Jesus, I pray that you would bless them financially, they're probably going to get blessed financially because that's the kind of empowerment that the Lord has given us, and he hears us when we say it. When we say something like, Jesus, I pray that you would heal their heart. Jesus is probably going to do it, and he's going to bless them. And they might come to know the Lord through that. Okay, how else can we love our enemies? The second way, love your enemies by choosing to view them by their truest identity. Love your enemies by choosing to view them by their truest identity. It can be challenging to love someone when we look at them as someone whose worldview is going to burn our worlds down, right? It can be challenging to view them as someone who is a child of God if we look at them and like, if you vote for that president, our world is going to crash and burn. But if we view them in a way that is, by, that is their truest identity, that they are created by God, they are created for God, they are created in his image, and that God is madly in love with them, it will change how we feel about them. 
It will change how we treat them. It will change how we, the words that we use about them will change when we view them by their truest identities. The truth is also that the people that, have, that are your enemies are likely people who have been very hurt, who have, who have had experiences and challenges that we might never know about. So it's really important for someone, at least in their world, it's unfortunate that, you know, maybe the reason you're in their world is because they've hurt you. But it's important that someone in their world is looking at them and saying, you are a child of God. And even though you're not acting like it, even though you, sin has gotten into your life and in your heart and it has caused you to do some bad things, you are still madly loved by God. You are still created in his image. You are still, you are not lost or forgotten. Love your enemies by remaining humble and gentle. This is my favorite one. Love your enemies by remaining humble and gentle. I'm just going to read a few scriptures that I found for this because there's a lot in the Bible that talks about staying humble and staying gentle towards everyone. So Ephesians, they're just going to be referenced up here. I'll read them out loud, though, but you guys can take notes of them. Ephesians 4, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And lastly, Jesus' words, Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we remain humble? We remain humble by acknowledging that, one, we are not perfect. And those around us are not perfect either, and we cannot expect perfection from those around us either. Some may say, well, Jesus turned over tables and called people broods of vipers. That's true. That is absolutely true. But my challenge would be for us all to not ask, what did Jesus do? But what would Jesus do if he were me? There are like maybe, like maybe less than five instances in scripture where Jesus gets a little feisty. <laughs> you know, and rightly so. But I just read, there, were, there are tons of scriptures that I, could, that I could have read to you that talk about being humble, about being gentle, about being patient, about being kind. I think Jesus, you just have to use wisdom for your situation. Now, what I don't want to say is, a caveat here is that we should overlook evil or that we should not stand against evil, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there's a way to do it in a way that is honoring to the Lord, and that is, that is worthy of being 
uh, called a follower of Jesus. Do not, this is the other caveat. I don't think I have to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, just in case. Do not stay in an abusive relationship in the name of loving your enemies. That's not what I'm saying. You can love that enemy in a different way. Get out of it. In closing, I'd like to just read a quote from the book. Okay, before I do that, I can't really see. I have bad eyes. I should have worn my glasses. Um, before I do that, I just want to share a little bit behind why I am so passionate about being gentle and humble towards our enemies. And a lot of like the drive behind who I am as a mother and who I am as a friend and who I am as a wife has a lot to do with my personal experience as a child. My, as you guys heard earlier, my stepmom was, she was abusive. She was cruel. You know, I would come to her in times of, you know, being vulnerable and look, seeking a maternal figure in my life. And she would turn towards me in ugliness and hatefulness and spitefulness. And I remember always saying that when I am older and when I am a mother and when I am a wife and when I am just a friend, when someone comes to me and if they're in trouble or if they're being vulnerable with me and if I just like, if they did the most unspeakable deed, I want to respond to them in such a way that does not scare them or shut them off forever. Because when my stepmom would shut me down, I was just done. I was like, well, never getting vulnerable with you again. Like, I'm just going to shut my heart off. I just really believe that Jesus is calling us to be a people who are welcoming people in all of their messiness and all of their evilness and saying, "You, yes, what you did was very bad and very evil. And Jesus does not want you to do that. It is sinful. But what I want you to know is that I am not going to mock you. I am not going to ostracize you. I am not going to be an, a religious oppressor that because what you did cannot bring, allows you to not be in the kingdom of God. Jesus is calling us to be a people who welcomes our enemies. With, I'm dead. Oh, there you are. Okay. In closing, there's a book called Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. It's an incredible book. If you've not read it, I highly recommend it. It changed my life. I'm going to read a quote from the very end of his book. David wrote, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. If we are going to keep one big commandment that he gave us, to love as he loves, then we need bigger hearts. If we'll let him, God will make us like Secretariat, that freakishly fast champion racehorse who blew contenders away with his shocking, unprecedented stamina. After his death, veterinarians discovered the secret to this horse's incredible power. Secretariat had a heart nearly three times the, si the average size of a horse's heart. An estimated 22 pounds. So just imagine... What would happen if a bunch of Christians started walking around with hearts three times as powerful and loving as anyone else around them? 
people might actually start believing that God is real. Just imagine what would happen if a bunch of Christians started walking around with hearts three times as powerful and loving as anyone else around them. People might actually start believing that God is real. And I might add, they might start believing that not only is God real, but that he's good. Jesus is raising the standard. That's what he's doing a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. He blesses, he does a lot of blessings, and then he moves on to say, this, the law is where you started. But now that I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, you can do so much better. You can do so much more. I believe that Jesus is saying that if we can love our enemies in whatever